Hi, I'm Ariel Demros, the host of Reset, and I am officially back from vacation. Which is great, and also weird, because I'm recording this audio from the closet in my tiny apartment in Brooklyn instead of our lovely studio in Manhattan. Because of the novel coronavirus pandemic, the folks at Vox Media have decided that it would be better for us to work from home for the time being. So, if things sound a little bit different, that's why. Now, given everything that's going on in the world, we're definitely going to keep covering the coronavirus pandemic on this podcast. But we're not going to lose sight of other important news stories as well. So, with that in mind, here's today's episode. So it's around 4.30 in the afternoon. I think I had to maybe work at 6 that day. This is Zachary McCoy. He's 30 years old. He lives in Gainesville, Florida, where he rides his bike a lot and works in a local restaurant. But in January of this year, something really random and unexpected happened to him. So, you know, just getting ready to get dressed and head out for work. And I pull my phone off the charger and, you know, I see the icon for the notification from Gmail that I have an email. And it was an email from Google. It said more or less in these words, um, we have received legal process from the Gainesville Police Department um, compelling the release of information related to your account. And then it just gave me a case number. And then it basically said, you have seven days to take counter legal action or your information will be turned over to the law enforcement. And that's all it said. My immediate response was that I thought it, it was a scam. I was like, this can't be real. And then it was, and then I was just completely at a loss. I didn't know why the police wanted into my account. What happened to Zachary took almost two months and thousands of dollars to deal with. John Shupi, an investigative reporter for NBC News, broke the story. He panics a little bit. He also goes to his roommates, tells them what happened, and they suggest trying to go online to get some clues. And fortunately for them, Florida being a place where there are very liberal public information laws, you can just go on the Gainesville Police Department's website, type in a case number, and see what that case number refers to. And so that's what they do. They go on there and see a one-page document that refers to an investigation of a burglary that had happened in March of 2019, so nearly a year earlier. And as they look through the very few details that are on this one-page investigation report, they see that the burglary happened a little less than a mile from where they all lived. And then things started to become a little bit more clear for Zachary. The police used data gathered from Zachary's phone to place him on a suspect list. And these data were handed over by Google. So, today on the show, how law enforcement is using a new type of investigative tool using the location data from people's phones. And what that means for folks like Zachary, or for you and me. I'm Ariel Dermross. This is Reset.
Okay, so Zachary McCoy is being investigated by the Gainesville police, and he still doesn't understand why. So what happens next is, you know, I talk to my parents about it, and they're like, well, you know, we know you didn't do this, and we don't want you to accidentally get caught up in something because you didn't have legal representation. They find a local lawyer in Gainesville. His name is Caleb Kenyon, and he has to do a little bit of digging and detective work himself to figure it out. This is John Shupi again, the reporter from NBC. So Kenyon starts asking around on listservs and asking colleagues. It takes him a bit, but he gets in touch with a lawyer who has heard of this before. And this lawyer tells him, hey, this is a geofence warrant. Caleb Kenyon and his client, Zachary McCoy, have no idea what a geofence warrant is. And this is what they learn, and this is uh, what the story's about, is a geofence warrant is a request by police to Google when they have no leads on a crime. And what it does is it asks Google to provide all the location data for any device that was near the crime scene around the time that the crime occurred. And then hopefully get leads from that information and zero in on a potential suspect. And so the police had gotten a list of all the devices and they saw that I had passed by three times in one hour. And so they assumed that I was the burglar casing the house. And that's when they got the search warrant for my account. So why did Zachary pass by the house three times in such a short period on the day of the burglary? I ride the bike for exercise uh, probably like around three, four times a week. And I use RunKeeper to track the distance of my bike ride. RunKeeper is a fitness app. Uh, and then I would enable the Google location services, which allows RunKeeper to use my GPS data. And then it will tell me how far I went, um, the duration of my activity. So they saw that I was three times there and the area. And so, yeah, they thought I was casing the place. And I'm not a detective, but in my opinion, I kind of feel like that was some pretty shoddy detective work. I mean, what kind of detective doesn't realize that people ride bikes through a neighborhood? I mean, I understand them having to investigate this and everything, but they really, they they rolled the dice on this one and, and the burden was left completely on me. Uh, I told the attorney that and he's like, He's like, well, that's that's not good. And it just looks really bad that you were there when it happened. So he ends up filing the motion to quash, which was the counter legal measure that he needed to take for the search warrant the police had. And that sets off a fight in civil court in Alachua County over this warrant. This happens very quickly. And at first, the city of Gainesville, being represented by the local state attorney's office, puts up a fight and insists that this is a valid warrant and is needed to solve this crime. But once they start pressing for more information about what kind of information has been provided or requested of Google, the city and the state attorney's office drops it, 
drops the case. They just drop the case. That's it. What they do is they back off on the warrant. What the detective tells Caleb, Zachary's lawyer, is we don't think that your client is a suspect. So essentially, Caleb gets assurances from the detective that Zachary is essentially scot-free. So basically what you're telling me is the same data points that made him a suspect then exonerated him? Yeah, that's one of the ironic aspects of this story. Kind of seems like a huge waste of time, to be perfectly honest. Well, in my opinion, it appears to me that they used the geofence warrant in an overly aggressive way without fully thinking through what they were going to get from it. So in the end, it was a waste of time, completely. Even though Google handed over the data that put him on the police's radar, Zachary says he doesn't blame the company. He also told me he might use RunKeeper to track his bike rides again. Obviously, you know, I was using that technology the way it was intended. And I was, you know, I agreed to let Google track my location so that I could know how long my bike rides were. Um, I'm really kind of more upset at law enforcement um, just because I could totally understand them using this technology for certain crimes. But an old lady's engagement ring getting stolen, I think that it was really haphazard on their part. And I think that maybe there should be like a code of ethics in law enforcement as to when they're going to use this type of technology because it's a total invasion of privacy. After the break, how exactly did law enforcement zero in on Zachary of all people? And how often is this stuff happening? This is Reset. Hey, it's Tom Warren, senior editor at The Verge here. Microsoft is in an era-defining moment. It's betting on AI as the future of work, its Xbox business is going through transformational changes, and the Mac versus PC war is about to be back on. So I'm launching a newsletter called Notepad. It'll be your inside guide to all those changes and beyond. From details on the next Xbox to that one time every Microsoft employee named Michael appeared on a mysterious email list. Whatever is happening at Microsoft, you'll be able to read about it first in Notepad every Thursday. Go subscribe now at theverge.com if you use Google services, if you have location data on your phone while you're using Google Maps, which is pretty much essential, or if you use other types of Google products and have location data turned on, Google is receiving your information about where you are. This is even more so true if you have an Android phone, which runs on Google software. John Shupi, crime reporter for NBC. How did the police zero in on Zachary? Why him? When the police submitted a geofence warrant to Google, the first step was to ask for anonymized data for any device near the scene of the burglary. And that's what they got. And from those devices, 
they zeroed in on one in particular. They didn't know whose it was because it was anonymized data, but they saw one that they wanted to follow up on. So wait, so they get a bunch of anonymized dots on a map, basically, right? Th- through time. And those dots are what are assigned a number so they can follow that dot along its its route. Is that it? That's more or less. You're correct. Okay. So with that first request, they can sort of pick out what they think is a suspicious dot. Is that how that works? Yeah. I mean, nobody really knows what the data that Google provides to police looks like, to be honest. But that's essentially what happens. We can infer that the police get dots and numbers on a map and then look at what seems suspicious to them and then follow up for more information. Okay, so once they have this suspicious dot, then presumably the police has to go back to Google. And what are they asking Google for? Are they asking for a name? Are they asking for an address? Like, what exactly is the request? The request is... We're interested in this particular device. Provide us with anything you can that gives us more information about who this person is. That can be a username, an associated uh, email address. That can be usernames for other types of Google services. It could be an address if they have that information as well. Okay. Do they have to justify that request? Is a judge involved in any of this? You know, does Google just comply or do they fight back? Yeah, there are several steps that are included in the geofence warrant, all written into that original warrant that a judge signs and approves. And the first step is the obtaining of that anonymized data. The subsequent step is, like you said, going to Google and saying, this is the one we're interested in, give us more personalized information, individualized information, personal information about that, who the person is behind that device, if you will. And so that's all approved by a judge. I got to say, this is one of the the weirder processes because it's not saying going to a judge and saying, hey, we have somebody who is suspicious and we want their information. So let's go ask Google. It's going to a judge and saying, hey, we know that there's some information out there that might help us find somebody who we think might be suspicious. So can you just like give us free range to get all of that information within a certain time frame? That's the process, right? That's exactly it. It kind of flips on its head the traditional way that we think about search warrants. In the traditional way, police know who they're looking for and they go to the source of information. It might be Google. It might be a cell phone company. It might be a different type of company and say, we need this information about this person. This is the complete opposite. It's like the mirror image of it. It's let's start with all these people, all these devices, and then we'll figure out who we are looking at. And then we want individualized information for that person. So, I mean, I know that a judge was involved in all of this. So I, I'm, I'm assuming that I, I, I feel like I kind of know the answer to this question. But is this legal? Yes, a judge signs off on it and it's legal. But what's happening is these requests are coming in so much more frequently from police to Google that they're getting a lot more scrutiny. These things often happen. Search warrants, these types of search warrants in particular, are sealed uh, to protect against the public viewing it. So a lot of times nobody knows about this until all of a sudden somebody finds that they're a suspect or a defendant, like Zachary. But increasingly there is more scrutiny and defense lawyers and civil rights and privacy advocates are starting to stand up and say, this is not right. This is illegal. It it violates the constitutional protections against unreasonable searches and seizures. Okay, so this request for this warrant all happens 
outside the public eye. I'm guessing that that in order to justify it, though, this has to be a pretty significant crime, right? A pretty big burglary, right? Was this a was this a big burglary? Like, was this a big deal? No disrespect to the victim in this case, but it was um, some jewelry and cash worth a little bit more than two thousand dollars. A straight burglary, and that, in the scheme of things, is not a very serious crime. Police who I've talked to, who have used geofence warrants, say they tend to use it on very significant crimes, murders, a string of shootings, kidnappings, sexual assaults. This seems to be a bit of an anomaly in that Gainesville police tried to use it for a burglary. And that kind of surprised some people that I talked to, law enforcement officers I'd talked to about this case, in that it seemed like a bit of a stretch to turn to something as serious as a geofence warrant to solve a relatively run-of-the-mill crime. Okay, so these warrants, they're happening more often. Are people actually getting arrested from these? Occasionally they are, yes. We recently wrote a story about a man in Virginia who last year was charged with bank robbery, arrested and charged with bank robbery, in an investigation that began with a geofence warrant that covered the time of the robbery of the bank. Um, sometimes they don't result in arrests, and generally speaking, we don't hear about those. Are people actually solving more crimes from this? Is, is something good coming out of this? I mean, that's what law enforcement says, and I have no reason not to believe them, that it is an important tool. Like all high tech tools that they use, it's important to use it responsibly and with a little bit of discernment. Um, I think this case about the burglary shows a little bit less of that. You said that these warrants are are becoming more popular, more frequent. Do we actually have numbers on them? Do we know how often they, they are being um, issued in the U.S. Or, or even just in Florida? Yeah, I mean, this is not something that Google likes to talk about much. But in this Virginia case that I mentioned, they filed a brief kind of explaining a bit about how geofence warrants work. And that was a, a good insight. And within that, they talk about how much more frequently they're getting these requests. And they gave two numbers. One was from 2017 to 2018, the number of requests that they received for geofence warrants increased by 1,500%. In the following year, from 2018 to 2019, those requests jumped by 500%. They didn't give the raw number, so we don't know exactly how many, but that's a significant jump in those two years. That's a huge jump. Um, do we know what happens to these data after they're collected? You know, do, does the police just get to keep it? What happens if that's or if that what what basically amounts to surveillance data? doesn't lead to an arrest, you know, does, does the police just get to know where everybody's going? That's an open question. It's a very good question. And I don't think anybody knows other than the police. Um, I've never gotten an answer from law enforcement about how, whether they store this information and hold on to it. Because um, a tenant of criminal justice law is that if police are searching for one thing and they find something else, that's open for further investigation as well. And so 
one could argue that it would behoove them to hold on to the data in case they feel like it might come in handy at a later date for a different case. Has Google tried to fight back on this? Because, you know, when Apple has been asked to unlock iPhones, for instance, it has fought back. So, you know, is Google just complying and, and saying this is all fine, this is cool? Where do they stand on this? Google's public stance, as with Apple's, is that they try to resist overly aggressive requests of information about its consumers, about its clients, by law enforcement. And so they say that they resist this, but the reality also is that they comply a lot. You can look up online their transparency reports. They come out annually, and there's hundreds, if not thousands, of various requests that they receive from law enforcement, and many of them result in Google providing information. But it's a hard balancing test for a company, I think. You want to be able to help the police catch people who have done very bad things, but at the same time, you don't want to sacrifice consumers' trust. And that's what they're trying to balance, and it's not easy. Are they legally required to comply with geofence warrant requests? If a judge signs it, they're required, but they can also fight it. I don't know of an instance in which Google has defied a geofence warrant. I think there's a give and take that happens behind the scenes mm-hmm. as opposed to openly defying a, a lawful court order. Right. I mean, I can see Google saying, hey, we are giving them a bunch of dots, but they're anonymous. And then the police has to come back and, and justify why they want the information on a specific dot. At the same time, my guess is that even with these anonymous dots, if Google doesn't help them in in any kind of additional way, they could still narrow down a person's identity just by looking at their their frequent places that they go to, whether it's their workplace or their home. We know that it's possible to narrow down um, a person's identity just based on the locations that they frequent. So I got to say, I don't really feel like what Google might be saying in terms of justification or that this process is particularly protective of its users. You're absolutely right. And the police make that point as well. And prosecutors represented them make that point in court, that this is anonymized data. Consumers have nothing to worry about. And the privacy concerns aren't as urgent as what defendants and privacy advocates are saying they are, because... It's, that's ex- it's exactly as you described it. If you look at a much, if you look at one of these location histories of any one person or a group of people all plotted on a map, like some of these geofence warrants provide, you can more or less figure out who these people are. It doesn't take much. So, did the police ever identify the real culprit of of this robbery? As far as I know, n- no. They told Caleb Kenyon, Zachary's lawyer, that they were considering the case cold, um, not solved. And one of the few, possibly the only answer to any question that I got from the Gainesville Police Department was that there have been no arrests made. So the case remains open, and the ordeal that Zachary went through was kind of all for naught when it comes to solving the crime. Yeah, I mean, this this sounds like an incredibly stressful situation to go through. I can also imagine people who are on the side of, if you got nothing to hide, what does it matter, saying, well, the data did ultimately absolve him, so everything's fine. 
What would you say to that? <laughs> um, everything's fine in terms of he's not going to go to jail. But Zachary is acutely aware of the fact that he had to go to his parents, who don't have a lot of extra money to spend. They spent several thousand dollars on a lawyer who helped mm-hmm. him get absolved of this. And in the end, he's also very aware of the original victim of the burglary who's out a couple thousand dollars worth of jewelry and cash. Mm -hmm. And they're still back at square one, essentially. And so everything's not okay in that sense. There's a couple of people here who are out quite a bit of money, but also have experienced some level of trauma as well. Other than than whatever Google is saying about this, is anyone fighting back and, and trying to stop these types of warrants? The only place where this is really happening is within the courthouses. And there haven't been that many cases, which is why we at NBC News felt that it was important to start writing about this. They don't bubble up because they're so secretive. Defense attorneys are trying to fight them if they know how. This is such a niche aspect of the law right now that a lot of times defense lawyers don't even know. And j- just to be clear, basically what you're telling me is that police departments in Florida and, and um, all over the rest of the U.S. are probably just accessing this data on a regular basis, and, and it could be anyone's information. Right. What Zachary's story taught me was how easy it was to do hmm. on a relatively low-level crime. And... If I just happen to hear about this case, there's got to be many more of them that we have not heard about. John Shupi is a crime reporter for NBC. John, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today. It was my pleasure. Thank you. We reached out to Google and the Gainesville Police Department for comment on this story. They didn't get back to us by our deadline. This is Reset, and I'm Ariel Zimros. If you want to follow me on Twitter, you can find me at ADRS. You can also reach the Reset team by emailing reset at vox.com. We publish episodes three times a week on Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Sundays. So if you haven't already, subscribe to the pod. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or in your favorite podcast app. And if you like what you hear, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It really helps. We'll be back on Thursday. Later, nerds.